Uh, so if you got your phone or you got the real paper in front of you, Genesis chapter 12 is uh, what we're going to be looking at. And I have to just say this, um, this is, has nothing to do with the sermon, but I am just so excited to be with everybody this evening. I have had uh, dreams about what this would look like. And um, I imagine it inside that building, but that's okay. We're all still here. And uh, I just am, have been looking forward to this for the past month as we've been, begun planning and thinking about how to have like a COVID uh, safe gathering. So this is just uh, warming my heart so much. And it's just amazing to be uh, back together with all of y'all. Um, I have a really simple message uh, this evening that I want to share with uh, us as a church. I know that some of you guys are new, you've never been here before, or uh, maybe you've just kind of been tracking with us online since we've been online. Um, but I really want to talk about kind of what is Saints Hill and the core of why Saints Hill. As Jake was just saying, we love the why. Why do we do what we do? And uh, so the simple message is this this evening. We're going to pioneer again. As a church, we're going to pioneer again. See, um, there could be this temptation, particularly in moments of trial or moments of difficulty culturally, uh, for us to protect and to try to kind of recoup and to um, play defense as the church and go, okay, well, make sure we don't do that. Make sure we don't do that. Oh, did you hear what they said? They said this about that. Okay, so maybe we shouldn't do that. There's this temptation to kind of go, okay, okay, everybody just kind of huddle up and we'll just kind of protect what we have and hopefully we weather the storm. But I believe that now is the time for our church to rise and to go for more. To not play defense, but to actually ask God, what are you, but what is the more that you have? What is the more that you intend for all of us and for uh, Newburgh in particular? And uh, I believe that now is the time to pioneer again. Oregon is the land of pioneers. It's the, um, the, uh, the prize waiting at the end of the, the pioneering trail, the Oregon Trail. But what exactly is a pioneer when I say that language? If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Oh, you guys are, you're a little rusty. You'll get back into it. It's this, a pioneer is someone or a group of people who go ahead into the wilderness of fear, into mystery, in order to make a trail that others can follow into the land of abundance. That's what a pioneer is. Think about that. Write this down. It's a group of people who go ahead into the wilderness of fear and mystery in order to make a trail that others can follow into that land of abundance that waits for you. Now, um, if you've been around Saints Hill for a while, you, you likely know that Saints Hill is a pioneering church. Um, there's a lot of great churches in Newburgh. Many times I get asked, why on earth would you plant a church in like the place that has the most churches? That, are you crazy? Look, I don't know. I'm just listening to what he's saying and he's saying pioneer there. So we're gonna pioneer. We exist as a church to take ground back from the enemy and to see the kingdom of God expand. That's what this church is about. Um, the language that we use uh, when talking about this is the language of renewal or revival. Many of you guys are probably familiar with this. We got a white tent. We're like halfway there, maybe a quarter of the way there to revival. But I, I like to think of revivals as uh, moments in time um, where the presence of God was just easily accessible. 
So much so that entire regions or entire towns accessed God's presence, were taken by the fear of God, repented of their sin, got free and began to walk in power all because a group of people said, yeah, we're gonna host him right here. We're gonna take him at his word right here. And because of that, the entire region or city or town benefited. That's what we mean when we say revival. Um, my wife and I, we kind of like to joke. Uh, well, it is kind of a joke, but we're actually serious. It's kind of like when you play Mario Kart. You guys ever, who's played Mario Kart? Just raise, raise your hand. Okay. In Mario Kart, you guys all know this. There are those, those little patches on the ground that have arrows on them. And when you hit those arrows, they boost you forward, right? They just like zoom you forward and all of a sudden you're going like 10 miles per hour more than everybody else, right? Just because you hit, you were in the right place at the right time and the right space and it just zoomed you forward, right? Well, revival is kind of like that. Revival is this, th these places that have easy access to the presence of God. It's almost like people enter into the space and you thought you were just coming to hear some songs and maybe a message and next thing you know, you're meeting with God. It's those spaces like in your homes when you have somebody over for dinner and they thought they were just having dinner, getting to know you. And next thing you know, you're prophesying over them and their destiny is being unfolded. These are little moments of revival, little zoom pads, if you will, straight to God's presence. What if Newburgh became a zoom spot because God was so hosted here and the culture of he heaven became so prevalent in the homes of those who are represented here this evening, that as people came into our town, as people began to get to know you and spend time with you, they were ushered into the very presence of God and found the reason that they live. That's what this church is about. That's what we're about. I can't tell you um, how many prophetic words, we have a whole uh, list of just prophetic words people have given us down through uh, the past couple years, past three years really, um, about Newburgh being a place that um, is synonymous with a move of God. Uh, there, there's this one fun word. This is from uh, Jenny Griffin, Gerald's wife. If you're from Bridgetown, you know Gerald, Pastor Gerald. Uh, his wife one time gave us this word. She said, you know how um, Kleenex, when somebody says, hand me a Kleenex, they really just mean hand me a tissue because the word Kleenex has become so synonymous with tissue. She said, I think that's what's gonna happen in Newburgh, that when people say Newburgh, it just becomes, oh, that's where a move of God is. A move of God is Newburgh. Oh, that's right, it's the new city, it's the move of God. And this place will just become known as a place where like a Zoom pad straight into the kingdom where everybody easily accesses him. People, I believe, will travel from all over the world to come here, not just for our great wine, but they'll travel here so that they actually can get in touch with a God who's present. It's powerful stuff. It's powerful things. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pioneer again. I feel like we're almost replanting the church tonight. We're going to pioneer again to see revival continue to hit Newburgh and to hit our valley. There's so many people I can point to, moments I can point to and say, that right there, that's a revival moment. That right there, that's revival there. But I'm looking forward to the day where it's impossible to escape God's presence when you come to this town. That, I mean, is that a good word? That's a good word. I think that's a pretty good word. Um, Genesis chapter 12, the first pioneer of faith. Look down at your Bibles. I'm in Genesis 16, hang on. Genesis 12, verse one, this is what happens with Abraham. Some of you guys know this story. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Now, what you have to know is that up to this point in the story, uh, there's no personal relationship with God. There is just, there's God, he's out there. His name's Yahweh, he's created the world. But for the most part, aside from Adam and Eve who lost that personal relationship, there's, there hasn't been another human who has hosted God personally in a way like this. And all of a sudden, God, Yahweh, comes to Abram and he says, I want you to pioneer a new move for me. I want you to pioneer. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about Abram's life at this point. Uh, he's in an age range, he's very old. He's in an age range where normally you would settle down. You're not going anywhere. Certainly not leaving your family, the people who are gonna take care of you, especially in this time period. Uh, he's been through just incredible difficulty. Uh, he, him and his wife haven't been able to have children. And here God comes to him and he's like, I'm gonna make you a father of many nations. You have to imagine that this is just the last thing that he is ever prone to believe. This is not a natural thing to believe. Um, but I, I want you to see that Abram goes and it wasn't his actual trip to a new town or leaving his family that was the pioneering. He was a pioneer because of his trust. Do you see that? He's a pioneer because he trusts God and it leads him to do something different. And, and this is really why the most brave things to do take trust more than ruggedness. The most brave things to do in all of life rarely are the things that take physical ability, but the things that take spiritual ability to say, I'm gonna trust you, even when everything around me has told me otherwise of what you're saying. That's what it means to pioneer. Pioneering with God always happens in you first, and then it happens around you. Pioneering always happens in you. You personally pioneer internally with God and that turns into pioneering externally around you. See, there is a flow to the life of every believer and it is the flow of inside out. You need to get this. There's a flow to the life of every believer and it is the flow from inside out. It can be tempting to believe that the flow is outside in and that that is how uh, growth pioneering works. But no, 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 it is from the inside out. Choosing to trust God is actually um, going to cause uh, public pioneering around you. When you make that choice to say, in this situation, regardless of difficulty, in this place where I have fear, in this place where everything has told me otherwise, I'm choosing to trust you, to lean my heart on you. And when you do that, you just became a pioneer. When you do that, you just created a pathway for the people who come into contact with you to get on a Zoom pad and follow. That's what happens. This is Abraham's journey to being a father of faith, it all began with personal trust. It all began with personal trust. And what's the result? He becomes a father of nations. See, our personal trust, those, those moments, I don't know what they are for you, but you know what they are for you, those things in your life where you still have yet to trust God, when you begin to trust him in those places, uh, you actually are building a legacy to be inherited. Do you understand this? Uh, I just had a, a daughter, she's somewhere around here. I don't know where she is. She's over there. Is she in the pool? She might be in the pool. No? Oh, there she is. There she is. Everybody look at her. That's her. Um, that's Georgie. And uh, how many of you guys understand that I want to leave Georgie an inheritance? 
I wanna leave Georgie not only money and finances when I die, I want to leave her a spiritual inheritance, a legacy of all of the moments where I personally chose to trust God that she now gets to inherit because she's my daughter. I know there's many parents out there that you want the same thing for your parents for, or for your kids. There's many people out there that you want that for your roommate. You want that for your school. You want that maybe even for your parents and your family. That the people around you would actually inherit a spiritual legacy of trust, of personal trust, uh, because they've spent time around you and in your presence. And this is exactly what happens to Abraham. Because of his personal decision to obey God and to trust, he ended up becoming a father of a nation. A huge legacy. It is in the moments of difficulty, where it's difficult to trust, where it's difficult to not fear, where it's difficult to not doubt, where your legacy is determined. You will have a legacy. You will have something that you hand off to the people around you. You will have, maybe you're only here for a year or a couple years as you, while you go to Fox. You will leave behind a, an inheritance for the people who come after you to receive. And it is in the moments where you choose to make his voice the most trusted voice, it's in those moments that you pioneer a new way for those who will come after us. But there's a right way to do this. There's a correct way to pioneer. I think that we need to put our focus on the joy of pioneering, the joy of choosing to trust. You see, sometimes um, pioneers, they can get on a journey and they can start only uh, perceiving the cost of the journey. They can start perceiving only the cost of what it actually is gonna take for them to get to where they're trying to go. And then they start viewing themselves as a victim. And when they start viewing themselves as a victim, they become dead weight for the rest of the people who are trying to pioneer a new way to drag them into the promised land. Without a clear vision, pioneers get weighed down with the cost. Without a clear vision of where you're going and what God intends to do with your life, you can get weighed down with the cost. Oh, do you hear what people are saying about Christians? Do you hear what people are saying about, about Jesus, about the gospel? Maybe we should just just stuff it. Or maybe I need to adjust it so that it's not so weird and so awkward. And so we start creating theology around the cost rather than around what Jesus told us to expect when you're a pioneer. A pioneer who is concerned with cost is called a civilian. And, and the reality is that in the New Testament, if you're a Christian, you're not a civilian. <laughs> Paul says, do not get entangled in civilian pursuits when you follow Jesus. It can be easy to only think about the cost of, of, of being a Christian when you haven't a clear vision of the joy set before you. How many of you guys understand that, that Jesus, his focus wasn't the cross. His focus was what's beyond the cross. It says for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He went through the cross. He wasn't like, oh, the cross is so beautiful. The cross is so great. I can't wait for the cross. He says, no, this is affording me a future, a legacy of all of the earth being covered with the knowledge of God as waters cover the sea. I'm willing to go through the cost. I'm willing to go through the cost. When we focus on the cost of being a pioneer, the cost of being a Christian, or the cost of trusting God in a particular place, or the cost of the cultural moment that we're in, we actually minimize the promises of God in order to make sense of a culture that isn't obviously open to God. Are you guys tracking with me? Just nod your head. Yep, tracking. Okay, what happens 
is when we focus on those factors, when we focus on the cost of pioneering, we end up creating theologies about why that is and then we stop pioneering altogether. Um, there's a moment in the Gospel of John where um, Jesus is with the woman at the well. Many of you guys probably know this story. He's with the Samaritan woman. It was very taboo for a Jewish man to speak with a woman alone, let alone a Samaritan woman. They were an outcast, oppressed people group. Jesus speaks with this woman at the well and um, she, he, he says, I know you, I see you. I know what your life has been like. She goes, oh, surely you're a prophet. He goes, I'm not just a prophet, I'm the Messiah. He reveals himself to her. Really unique moment. And it says that she then leaves to go tell the rest of her town. Now, when she leaves, the disciples come back and they say, what were you doing talking with that woman? And here's what Jesus says. He says, it is still, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. Well, I tell you, Open your eyes, look at the fields, they're ripe for harvest. Now you have to imagine, he's talking about a spiritual harvest, but you have to imagine the disciples going, uh, in Samaria, a harvest? This, this Samaritan woman who is uh, getting water at the wrong time of the day, a harvest? The people who were not even a part of the people of God, a harvest? Are, are you sure about that? <laughs> I don't think so. But sure enough, there's an entire town who wants to meet the man who could know them the way that he knew this woman who comes out to him. Notice Jesus says this in Matthew 9. He says, the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers. We tend, because we focus on the cost of being a disciple, we focus on the cost instead of the joy of communion, we tend to get that backwards and we think we've got a bunch of pioneers, we've got a bunch of Christians, look at all these Christians, we've got a bunch of Christians, but alas, there's no harvest. We live in a tough time, the ground is hard, nobody's open to the truth, and I guess we'll just have to be faithful. And so what we do is we start to make excuses. People aren't open to God. COVID-19, it's just shut the church down. The government, everything's the government's problem or it's just the way that it is and nobody's ever gonna be interested in following Jesus here in Newburgh. But the thing is this, there's a different mindset that we're welcomed into as pioneers. The harvest exists, Jesus says. We don't have to drum it up, but we do need to live off of his promises and his expectations for what a revival actually could look like. The fact that there is going to be revival. Because here's the thing, you often will find whatever you're looking for. If you don't believe that there's a harvest, guess what? You're not gonna find a harvest. If you believe there's a harvest, you will organize your life and you will position yourself. God will trust you with the responsibility of being a harvester. Until we learn to live off of his expectations for harvest, we will come to expect just whatever has become the norm culturally. Just go, oh, this is just the way that it is here. It's just the way that it is. And this is really why many of you, how many of you have ever been on a mission trip before? You've been on a short-term mission trip. You've gone out of the country. Awesome. How many of you, you saw things on that mission trip you've never seen here? Amazing things, miracles, things, cool. Why? Why is that? Because there's a cultural norm where you went that expects the miraculous and people find what they're looking for and when you came home, you entered another cultural norm that doesn't expect the miraculous and you find what you're looking for. 
And so what it means to be a pioneer is to become so filled with the expectations Jesus laid out here that the harvest is plentiful, that you begin to change what is normal in a given place. This is the process of revival. This is the process of renewal. Getting so connected to him like Abraham was that you actually become the agent of change where people's expectations begin to shift because you walked into the room because you started the job there, because you took that class, because you started living with that group of friends, because that child was born to your family. It doesn't take a pioneer to live an average life. It takes a pioneer to speak of, to think of, to aim for the city not yet seen or the land of abundance not yet reached. And this is precisely the call of Saints Hill Church. This is our call, to peer over the edge of what God has promised and to prophesy that into Newburgh, to speak what is possible, what God's intentions are to the people that we work with or live with or run into while we're on an errand. This is exactly why God called Abram the way that he did, because the kingdom expands outside of us to the same degree that the kingdom expands within us. We have to have our, in our minds, our expectations so shaped by our relationship with him that it begins to change the people around us. Look down back at your Bibles. Here's what he says. He says uh, in verse two, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Many of you guys are probably familiar with the language blessed to be a blessing, right? You guys have heard that? Some of you, any, no? Some of you? Okay, a couple of you. This is where it comes from. It's this idea that God is after participation with us in order to bless people. Notice that he isn't saying like, um, Abram, look, here's the deal. I'm a, I'm a crazy good blesser. I'm gonna bless you. And then just try to convince people to come to me to get blessed. He, no, he doesn't say that. He says, I'm gonna bless you and then you're going to be a blessing. So Saints Hill, you have two responsibilities this summer. Get blessed by him. Spend time with him. Get filled up. I'm not gonna put a cap on what that blessing looks like. I've seen God pour out physical abundance. I've seen God pour out spiritual, emotional abundance, relational abundance. It's all from him. It's all blessing. We're, our, whenever we see blessing, we just give thanks. It's to get blessed by him and then to bless the people around you because of the blessing that he's poured out on you. What is the best thing? Have you ever thought about this? Like what's the best thing that you can do for your family? Maybe you're like, I could like save up money and like help send my, my uh, sibling to college. What's the best thing you could do? What's the best thing you could do for um, just people in general, for the people that live in this town that you don't even know? What's the best thing you can do? Like wear your mask? What's the best thing that you can do? What's the best thing you can do for the people who you work with? The best thing that you can do for the, your family, for the people you work with, for the people in this town is to go deep with him personally to get blessed by him. According to the scriptures, that's the best use of your time for the people around you. Hear what he thinks. Allow him to feed you on the fruit of heaven, on the thoughts of heaven, and watch as those around you begin to get blessed through your connection to him and to them. Meanwhile, they will start developing their own connections with him. This is what it means to be a pioneer. 
Um, there's, everybody open up your bulletin. There's a little photo in there, and I want to end with this. There's a photo in there of uh, these two, it's kind of old-timey, these two guys carrying a big um, whole thing of grapes, a whole cluster of grapes. Do you see that? This is this, um, it's this old Jewish symbol uh, that comes from a verse about the Israelites when they were on the edge of the promised land in Deuteronomy. There's this moment where the Israelites are about to enter the land of milk and honey, this promised land that they've waited years and years and years. They've been through slavery just to get to. And up to that point, all they had eaten was manna. You guys know the story. God sent manna, this bread-like substance, uh, a couple times a day, and they were able to feast on it rather than having to go kill animals and figure out ways to eat every day. God just provided for them. But there's this moment where the manna stops. And there's this entire year where the Bible says that they ate, the Israelites ate the fruit of the land that year before they ever entered the land. And what this symbol, this ancient Jewish symbol uh, represents is the fruit of the promised land. So full, it took two people to carry it, carrying it from the one side of the promised land into the other side, into the camp of the Israelites. And it says in the scriptures, that year, the Israelites feasted on the fruit of the promised land before they had ever entered it. Might I propose to you that we are on the cusp of heaven and that it is our privilege and our job to feed the people around us on the fruit of heaven, even while we wait for heaven and earth to be united again. That's our call. This is what we were made to do. This is what we were made to be. Those two people carrying that cluster of heavenly fruit to the people around us and just saying, do you know what's possible when you connect to him? Do you know what's possible when you hear from him? Do you know what's possible? Let me tell you what he did in my life. Let me tell you about the blessing that it is to be connected to him in my life. That is pioneering. And I'm believing that each and every one of you, he's calling you out to be a pioneer again, regardless of the cultural moment, regardless of what's going on around us, we're gonna pioneer again. Would you guys stand with me?